0: Welcome to the School of the Word. This is lesson 36 in our teaching series as in the days of Noah, titled, Just Do It. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. As we begin our teaching today, we do welcome everyone here and everyone that's watching online. It's, uh, I can't tell you what a privilege and an honor it is to stand before you, represent God's Word and what God says. I don't claim to do it with perfection but I do claim to try to do it. and uh, So therefore you'll see and understand a little of my teaching today Uh, with that in mind. We're all trying to draw a little closer to his word, get a little understanding for these days in which we're living, which are very confusing or can be confusing and it will strain us at best as Christians. But as we move forward uh, in our Christian life, it's important that we gain understanding, but it's nice when understanding equals something. when understanding causes us and motivates us to motivates us to move forward, because understanding is something that should stir us and it should stir our souls, stir our spirits. And the older uh, that I get, the more of a necessity I have for a stirring, can anybody at 70 years old or older say Amen? <laughs> okay, amen. and uh, so any stirring is uh, is appreciated, and it, when you, as you get older, when you're stirred, there's no doubt that it's the Holy Ghost and not just your emotions. <laughs> this is it's the real deal. <laughs> it helps you to separate that. So as we're Moving forward in this teaching as I try to bring some prophetic revelatory understanding to these scriptures, uh, this is so shall the coming of the Son of Man be, as in the days of Noah. I've mentioned this several times, and I'll mention it again, that when you begin looking at the New Testament in the light of the last days, it's all written in light of the second coming of Christ being intimate, being right around the corner. It's right upon us. And the question is, well, that hasn't happened in 2,000 years. But the truth is, is that God's grace and His mercy has stayed His hand each generation. As He moves a little further, a little closer, believe it or not, our job is not so much to call in the second coming of Christ, even though that's what we do. We like to call in, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But uh, our commissioning is to ask God to stay His hand, bring His mercy upon the earth and upon a generation. Uh, Christian believers has done that before us. That's the reason we're here, is because somebody uh, was interceding for mankind. So there's the dilemma of the prophetic person. Are we going to intercede or are we going to call for judgment? there is the dilemma that we all have to face and we have to contend with the faith that we are a generation of intercessors to ask God and to plead for lost humanity that God will allow us to keep giving this gospel message to the earth. So we saw Jonah and his plight. We'll go over that just a little more even today. As I mentioned our time period, this is my uh, long Titled here, The Time of Deceptions, which we covered, Delusions, which we covered, Illusions, False Perceptions, we covered, Progressive Reinterpretations, we covered, Selfish Prophets, Running Prophets, and today we're going to look at Third Day Prophets. What What is a Third Day Prophet? It's a prophet that has a specific type of understanding of these days that we're in, third-day prophet. Now, let's look at it quickly. We know how this goes. Who will warn America? Are our messengers running from God? A little change up here today. Do our messengers need courage? Now, we've looked at several aspects, but I'm going to kind of look at courage a little bit this morning. Judgment is coming, but mercy is our hope. There again, the the prophet of today is this prophetic understanding that we are asking God, we're asking the second coming of Christ, we're saying, God, would you consider holding back the second coming of Christ on behalf of lost humanity? That's where we are. That's the question. Now, you can feel that battle probably within you, when I say it, because there's a part of us that's a little more like Jonah than we think. Jonah was a man who ran from telling of the coming judgment because he wanted people to experience God's uh, judgment. So we've been over that in the last few weeks. I'll not belabor that, but I want to bring it back to to our minds this morning is to us to see this dilemma we're carrying uh, two things. In one hand, we're carrying the judgment of God. and the other hand, we're extending the grace of God or the mercy of God. So it gives us like a prophet with a split personality or a split message that we find ourselves in this dilemma. I'm just trying to expose the truth of where we are. Now, God had said to Jonah... I want you to take my word of warning to your enemies because I will soon destroy them if they don't repent. Now, that's a true message. To us, the world is our, perhaps our enemies. It's, it's repulsive. Uh, it's doing, the world is doing everything they can. I mean, it's beyond my imagination that even the things that we see today and that we hear today. But our job, let's always make a distinction, our job is to take the message of judgment to the world. That is our job. But here we also see what is the call of God to us. Last week we looked into this, that how God saved Noah basically from himself. It said, now the Lord provided a huge fish, to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish, how long? Three days and three nights. So you can say, uh, so all of a sudden as a prophetic people, as we look at this scripture, uh, this book of Jonah, we say, well, all right, God, why is Jonah there? Then you have to ask yourself, because these scriptures are divinely spoken. What was the purpose of saying three days and three nights here? Well, we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, it says this, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So as a, as a prophetic people, we want to look at the scriptures Because we'll start seeing a repetition, if you will, in the Bible of this three-day concept. There's something going on when the Scriptures mentions three days. So we get to Jonah. So he tells us that he was in the belly of this fish for three days and for three nights. So you're like, okay. There again, the Holy Spirit, God speaks in mysteries. His scriptures has layers to it. We, we look at one layer. I forget the name of the little game you used to play. You'd leave a note at each destination. And when you got to this note, led you to that note, and then that note led you. And each time you went to a place and picked up the instructions, it gave just enough of a hint to tell you where your next set of instructions were. The scriptures are like that. Anytime you get a short uh, metaphor in scriptures, it means you dive deep. It means you dive deep. You can say three days and three nights. Okay, whoopee. Why is this being used? When you see, like, um, for instance, uh, say, you're living in the day of God's grace. <laughs> what does that mean? God's grace. Dive deep. Dive deep. It's not uh, linear. It's vertical. You've got to dive deep for the truth. So let's look at this. Now in Matthew uh, twelve forty, in, in which we just saw uh, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. We see the apostle Paul. Referring back to this same idea of the three-day, three-night thing. In Matthew 12, 40, Jesus says this, And for Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So here we see a reference back to this scripture. Jesus given a reference of this uh, three-day, three-night, prophetic uh, utterance, metaphor, if you will. And so we start diving deep into there's got to be more to the meaning of just three days and three nights. Now, you know that the Scripture says that that the depths of the Scripture is hidden from the wise. Right, So we're looking for revelation of His Holy Spirit and how God hides His truth. Now here's the, what I'm going to call the prophetic third day. I'm just going to hit on it lightly. You can really take a deep dive on third day concepts in the Scriptures. It's all through the Scriptures, just the third day. So when the th- when you start reading about the third day, as you're reading scriptures as a prophetic people, something needs to kick in to your understanding and to your revelation about the understanding of the propheticness of three days, of the third day. Well, I didn't spell that right. It's supposed to be IT. It's the special day on which God creates new life and activates His covenant with humanity. Now, you remember the scripture. We'll go back to Genesis here just a little bit. There is a third day pattern in scriptures. This is what happened in the book of Jonah. There's more going on with Jonah than meets the eye. Jesus refers to Jonah's three days in the belly of the fish as a metaphor for his resurrection. I did do that at about 4.30 this morning for his resurrection. Jesus refers to Jonah's three days in the belly of the fish as a metaphor for his resurrection. So you're like, okay. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jesus uses it as a metaphor. So I ask you this question. Jesus is trying to tell us something about himself. Jesus died for three days. We know that. He went to the heart of the earth, right? He led, it says, captivity. He led led that that was captive. He broke the chains. He opened these gates of Hades and led all of these uh, Old Testament saints. It says he took paradise, which is in the opposite the other side of hell. He took them up to heaven. Then the third day, what happened? It was a resurrection from the dead. So there's no doubt in my mind, based on that truth, that, that Jonah died in the belly of the whale. Some people they went through all of these gyrations of reasons how God kept uh, Jonah alive for three days in the belly of a whale. Well, that didn't happen. Actually, he died. And then when the fish uh, threw him up, if you will, on the shore, he was resurrected back alive. Do you see that? Now, that is a prophetically that is a huge meaning. Jesus died on the cross, but Jonah was throw up. I could clean it up a little, but I don't want to. And and so there there's a difference of the resurrection. God has resurrected us out of our throw up. We're dead in sin. But yet God has thrown us up on the shore of Nineveh to be about the purpose in which he put us here. Are you with me? To be about the purpose. In other words, God did save you from hell, but he saved you unto your purpose It's important that we see that. He saved you from hell. He saved Jonah from destruction. But he saved him unto his purpose. And that's the reason I say to you, if you wonder how you got here, you don't know how you got here. God was getting you here all the time. Jonah has no idea how he got through up on the shores of Nineveh has no idea. I'm sure he came to and said, oh, how did I get here? God was getting him there all the time. God saved him unto his purpose. And he still did it kicking and screaming, so to speak. He started to yield. He started yielding in his life. And I submit to you this. Have you yielded unto the purpose and to why God has saved you? That's a question we need to answer. Now, let's watch it here. Here's a third-day pattern as it starts to emerge, keeping this in mind with Jesus, keeping in mind Jonah. We're going to look at this pattern. Why? What is the deal with the three-day pattern? Well, the deal is God's hiding something that's very important. It's hugely important. God's hiding it in a metaphor of three days. Now, in Genesis 11 through 13, y'all know this scripture, I know. On the first third day, God makes dry land appear and causes vegetation to come up out of the earth, plants yielding seeds and trees and bearing fruit. So we see on on the first third day in scriptures, first third day, that God causes dry land to appear, and He causes vegetation to come up out of the earth. Now, God's causing something to grow out of the dust of the earth. You get it? You got it? God's taking nothingness, the dirt, and He's causing it to grow up. He's giving it life. Third day in the Scriptures. God's giving life unto the earth. Genesis 1.24, I'm going to call this the second third day event happens on the sixth day when God creates animals and human beings. First third day, God starts creating life. Second set of third day, He creates animals and human beings. There again, the third day revelation is we start seeing when God does this third day thing, In the scriptures, he's talking about bringing about life. Are you with me? Humans are made in God's image, and God enters into a covenant with human beings, blessing them and giving them instructions. Now, look at this. Humans are made in God's image. This is the difference in us and animals and the plants. And God enters into a covenant with human beings, that's where the covenant with human beings begins. It's in the garden. He's blessing them and giving them instruction. So, on the second, and third day, as God creates humans, not only did He create us and blow into us life, it is there we start understanding that we're into a covenant relationship with the Creator, and He starts giving instructions. So, one thing, a second thing that happens on third day is we start getting instructions into our purpose on why we are here on this third day. Now, let's just look at it. I'm just going to give you a couple examples. There's many, many, many of them. Abraham's test on the third day. Genesis 22, 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. You see that? On the third day, once you see third day, okay, God's up to something here. He's got this third day. God, the Spirit of God, has this third day concept moving here. So when you read this about Abraham, you already know something. The third day. Third day. On the third day. Now this looks like a (laughs) random, just a random event. It's not random. It's a third day event. Are you with me as you're looking at the scriptures? God wants Abraham to learn to trust him with the covenant. So here we got third day, and then we got this covenant thing shows up again. Well, you know the story about Abraham and and, uh, covenant. It is God who provides a sacrifice and brings about the purpose of his covenant. Watch the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham sees three days far off. So once you see three days, the third day, you already know what the story's about. The story's about God providing life with a covenant. God acts to bring new life to Isaac by sparing his life through a ram in the bush. There's covenant. Is that not correct? So here again, you're seeing third day prophetic concept. God started it early in the scriptures. This third day concept. I submit to you this. Well, not yet. Let's move on a little further. Now, here's Israel's third day at Sinai. Exodus nineteen nine, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto Moses, Come unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the what? The third day. For the third day, the Lord will do what? will come down in sight of all the people. You see that? That's the reason I call us the third day prophets. We're the prophets. We're the voice. We're the prophetic voice. It's supposed to be saying the coming of the Lord. He's going to come down. He's going to come down to this earth. Puts us in the third day prophet. Third day prophet is one who understands the covenant that God's made with man. Third day prophet understands that the third day is an important day because that's when the Lord comes down. So God was saying, I'm going to come down as a cloud. I've asked the Lord and I will continue to do it until I go to my grave. I always pray that God will come down as a cloud in this sanctuary at New Life. I do. I am as guilty as I can be. I ask the Lord to come as this third day cloud as you came unto Moses to settle in this sanctuary. I'm not sure if he does it, if we'll live or not, but I'm willing to take a chance on it if you are. So keep that in mind. The narrative mentions the phrase third day four times in that whole narrative. To make sure we don't miss the fact that this incredible event will take place on this significant day. All right, let's move on. The pattern of the third day is God brings about new life for his people and a new identity, just like he did in the creation narrative and with Abraham and Isaac. That's what that means. It means that God brings about new life for his people. What happened when Jesus Christ rose the third day? That's what happened. God brings about a new life for His people, a new identity, just like He did in the creation narrative. God was doing that. It's the third day, Revelation. God entered, enters into a covenant with His people, Israel. Now, let's. I put this up and I'm saying, all right, let's stay with this pattern. Let's stay with this pattern in revelation we can now understand more about Jonah in the belly of the fish for 3 days so does it take start taking on a little more of a meaning why was Jonah in the belly of the fish uh, for 3 days to return to the covenant means a renewing of life Jonah was in the belly he died the fish took him to Nineveh I bet you that for 3 days from where he was probably thrown overboard, headed towards Tarsus, it's a good chance that fish was some at least a thousand miles from Nineveh. So for a three-day trip, uh, that fish was boogie, right? He was, it was a fast trip. So it was a renewing of life, a resurrection as a people into the life of God. There again, when Jonah was was thrown up in the shore. He was resurrected, but he was resurrected unto a life of God. You have been born again. You have been raised with him. But there's a purpose. The purpose is you are to have a life unto God. People, and they say, I say, well, Alan, what is my purpose? Your purpose? Your purpose is to have a life unto God. There's your purpose. That is the reason that we have been born again. Now, I submit to you, if God wants us to have a life unto Him, it would have to be that it's possible. It is possible for us to have a life unto God And the enemy is constantly trying to convince us that it's not possible. It is possible. When we sin, we're agreeing with the enemy, Satan, that it is impossible to have a life with God. When we sin, we have given up a part of the life of God, whatever what the sin is, we've given it up. And we have... Convinced ourselves that we cannot have a life unto God in the area that we're in sin about. That's a lie. Now, all of, uh, all of which will be brought about on the third day. Jesus mentions three days 21 times in the, in the Gospels. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was insistent about the third day because it represents God's pattern of creating new life and establishing a covenant with humanity. There you have the reason of the cross of Christ, the New Testament, the whole thing. It's a new covenant. It's a new revelation of a covenant. When Jesus died on that cross and arose the third day, it's a big deal. Can you see that? So with Jonah, that's a big deal. But it's a big deal because there's a new covenant. He's been raised up, so it gives us a life. We have been saved out of the belly of this fish, if you will. We have been thrown up, if you will, out of our sin, out of our lifestyles upon a seashore to deliver and to be raised up with Christ to deliver this message of God to the world. There's your purpose. There's your purpose. And guess what? You can do it. it is, is it possible? Yes, it's possible. We can do this. And there's a reason we can do it. Say with me, I can do it. Okay, we're going to get into this reasoning, this revelation of understanding of how we can do it. So, what does this mean? When we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday, we are not just following a historic tradition. Now, hear me on this. When we do this, we're not just following a historic tradition. We are engaging in a deeply meaningful experience centered around the third day in God's redemptive work. Good Friday, and we celebrate Easter on Sunday. It's just not a historical event. We are engaging in a very meaningful experience of third day revelation, hidden secrets, if you will, of God. you're saying, God, I get it, and I'm celebrating it the third day, today. Now, let's continue on. We can do it. It is not your job to save Jonah, as we see, as I showed you in the picture thereof last week. We are a Jonah to some and Jonah's to ourselves. The fish wasn't provided in order to destroy Jonah, the fish was provided to do what? It was provided to save him. Your life, whether you realize it or not, in your life, when you came to Christ, when you were born again, God sent a fish by to swallow you. It was in that moment of desperation that you cried out of the belly of the fish. God saved me. And he heard you cry. Then the fish threw you up on the shore. And God said, now let's do it. Let's do the reason that I created you and the reason that I saved you. Your life is not your own. Quit fighting it. Go with it. It's easier to go with it than to fight it. Go with it. Yield. I mean, there's a lot of people who've been born again, been saved, but they've not yielded their life unto the purpose. The United States today is going backwards, and the reason it's going backwards is because God's people are not yielding unto their purpose in which they've been put here on the planet. It's the only way we can go backwards. All of the responsibility of the condition of America is placed upon the church of Jesus Christ. It's our burden to bear. So now do you understand more why we cry out for mercy and not for judgment? Now let's get on into perhaps let's do this thing. God's made us a promise. Deuteronomy 31, 6. He says, be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid. For the Lord thy God, he, uh, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. So here's what we've got to understand. Jonah was sent by God. We can say Jonah rebelled and he did and all of the above. But I promise you, he did not have enough courage and he had fear. The fear and the lack of courage is what overcame Jonah to fulfill his purpose. Now, let's look at it. Hebrews, he promises this, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's either true or that's false. So if God's called you and saved you unto your purpose, you're not doing it alone. He's going with us. It says this, God will position himself so even when we run, he will be there ready to save us. Listen, church, we got to quit running from our purpose. Quit trying to make the gospel palatable to a lost world. It's good news. You don't have to purdy it up. It's already pretty. It's good news. Now, what's this? says this in Jonah 2, to I called for help and you listened to my cry. God is telling us that he's even with us, even now. God heard Jonah even when he was running from him. When we find ourselves in a place of disobedience, we can reach out to our Father which are in heaven and he will hear our cry. He will spit us out on dry land and walk with us as we complete our mission on this earth. Whether you realize it or not, God is adamant about you fulfilling your purpose and reaching your mission. I want you to see how it works. Just repent from our running. God said to Jonah, just do it. It's, it's amazing. Jonah 1, 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amitt. Uh, Say, and arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up uh, before me. Now, here's what I want us to start looking at Jonah. How did Jonah go wrong? Now, I'm going to tell you a little story here. And you got to catch what I'm saying. This is not intellectual. It's spiritual. you got to catch it. Everybody's heard of the company Nike. I've mentioned this before in times past. But Nike had this uh, slogan, just do it. Well, it just so happens, and then they had what they call the swoosh, you know, that little check mark, called it the swoosh. And they had a a phrase called uh, just do it. And that phrase, uh, the guy's name was uh, Weldon. Weldon? Weldon, I think, was his last name. Nike, Nike uh, originated in Oregon or Montana or some western state. Oregon, Oregon. And um, that's where they originated. And they came out of nothing. They sold tennis shoes out of the trunks of their cars and and all this sort of stuff. It was really an amazing story. And I guess later, maybe early 80s, uh, somewhere along there. And Nike started uh, emerging. And they were just about to reach the $1 billion yearly sales, one billion with a B, and they were just about there, and all of a sudden this other company uh, outsold them Uh, that year. They came, and I forget the name of the company it was. Uh, It escapes me. I'm trying to recall the story, but there was another company, uh, what if I called it? You'd all know it, but I can't remember. But this other company uh, passed them by like $1.2 billion. And then all of a sudden, they just started putting them putting them in the dust, you could say. And so this uh, Weldon guy, he went on to this. He said, we've got to come up with this advertising uh, scheme. So they came up with five different advertisements to put on TV. I think it was five or six. They were done by five or six different companies. So they all were telling five or six different stories, but he said they've got to have some continuity. He came up with a slogan called Just Do It. Now, here's how he got that slogan. He had just heard of this guy on death row. Now, you got to catch what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm saying? Catch what I'm saying. He was on death row, and they walked him in, and he was actually... Uh, Put in front of a firing squad, five men, and they shot him. And he had murdered somebody. And uh, so they brought him in there and they said, okay, what's your last words? And he, my understanding was, I could be wrong, that he was at peace. Uh, And I'm not going through everything that happened. But and he stood up before him and he said, just do it. When he read that, the welding guy, he said, that guy had such resolve and peace. He said, let's do it. Now, just think back on your life. Have, you've had times of resolve. You're going to say, okay, I'm just, we won't do it. We, we're just going to do this thing. You know the resolve I'm talking about. That man had, Now you could say, well, I don't want to use a, somebody, a murder victim. We hit the firing squad. I didn't pick that narrative. <laughs> That's the reality of the narrative but you can catch the spirit behind that narrative and just do it. Let's, let's do it. Great resolve. But when God gave Jonah this instruction, it was the same way. Jonah, here's the instructions. Just do it. He lacked the conviction, I'm going to do it. That type of conviction is a spiritual conviction. It does not require understanding and it does not require you being talked into it because you're your conviction. You just do it. Are you with me? Yeah. It's with that understanding, let's move forward. Just do it. Has nothing to do with winning, but everything to do with trying. Now catch me prophetic people. A prophetic word from God does not mean it's a winning word. Well, it didn't come to pass. Most prophetic words from God are not about winning. It's about trying. We try to prove a prophetic word by the end result instead of the trying of the person. The trying of the person pressing into the word is what God's after. I feel like I did a real poor way of explaining that, but I hope you got it. My only hope is you get it by revelation of the Spirit because I don't have real good words in which to convey it. Now, I want to go on here to try to show you how it works. Revelation comes during the moment of trying. See, God gives us a word and God says, no, Jonah, go do it. Well, Jonah sat back and started thinking all the reasons on why he didn't want to do it. He said, well, if they repent, then you'll forgive them and then i look like an idiot. And so Jonah comes up with all these reasons on why not to do it. What got Jonah into trouble was why not to do it. Can anybody hear me? It's the not to do it that gets us in trouble. You can say you're not going to do anything and you just done something. You just not do it, did it, did it. Watch how it works. When God speaks, we do it, and the revelation of why we did it will come during and at the end of our doing it. Can anybody feel that? When God speaks, we do it, and the revelation of why we did it will come during and at the end of our doing it. When God speaks, it requires faith to just do it. Here's the point of the scripture When God says something, we say, do it. Why does God do it that way? Because it takes faith to do it. If you had understanding, if you were convinced, and yada, 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 it doesn't take any faith. Are you catching what I'm saying? Why do we do it? Because it takes faith to do it. Jonah didn't have faith in God that he was going to be with him to do it. The equation, if you will, is we do it out of faith and God's already promised us he's going to be with us to help us do it. And he's going to explain to you why you're trying to do it or why you're doing it and how to do it. And I couldn't do that again if I had to. <laughs> just do it. Watch it. God celebrates those who just do it over those who think they win at it. I don't know how else to say it. Since believers and Christians. Well, I got to win. I got to be victorious. I got to do that is not what God's after. Jesus said it's finished. It's all been doed it. So God's looking for somebody that'll try to do it, and then you're trying, he's going to be with you. That's good. Now, here we go. First Chronicles. David said to his son Solomon, here's Solomon, he started getting discouraged, be strong and get courage and do it. (laughs) What David said to Solomon, do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord thy God, my God will be with you. See what David was encouraging Solomon with? He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the services of the house of the Lord. Why do we do it in faith? It's because God's going to be there with us, and he promises us that we will complete it. Go ask Jonah. Jonah's failure was he didn't try to do it. Now, King David knew a spiritual truth. When you just do it, what God says that He that is, he will be with you. David was advising his son on how to accomplish this God-given task. What keeps us from just doing it? Good question. Could it be mere procrastination or could it be fear of rejection? But it could also be that God is speaking to us and we just need a little more courage to follow him. I want to encourage each one of you to step out there and just do it. I want to show us a little something here. What is that? That's a house. It's a framing of a house. I'm going to share something personal with you. Not personal about me, personal about another. Our pastor sold his house and is building a new house. His wife's very sick. God is sustaining her and healing her. But our pastor, in the midst of this crisis sold a house and is building the house. And you know why? Because God said, do it. Am I right or am I wrong, Pastor? No, I think he did. It. You're right. He did. He did. He, I'm bringing you revelation on what happened to you. God said, do it. Makes no sense. In a natural sense, I would say it's the dumbest thing I ever heard of in crisis, and his family, his wife is sick, very sick. Why would you build a new house? Because God said do it. Why, why would God say do it? It's a testimony that our pastor is trusting God unto the healing of his wife. The house is a testimony unto life, not death. Anybody hear what I've said? How many of you said in your heart, What in the world's that preacher doing? That's crazy. <laughs> There's a dip, listen. When God says to just do it, it takes faith to just do it. It's not going to look like it makes sense. But you know in your heart, you got to just do it because the Lord says to do it. Now, let's watch this. Discouragement is not a spirit, but a lack of courage. Discouragement is the act of stealing courage from someone else. Now, look what I'm saying there, discouragement. If I discourage you, If I'd go to the pastor and I would discourage him from building a house, I know the Lord told him to do it. It's too crazy not to have been the Lord. Had to be the Lord. But for me to discourage him, when I try to discourage him, I'm trying to rob courage out of him so I have enough courage for myself in other words, I don't bring him up a level. I have to bring him down a level to where I am so it looks like I have to discourage him so my low level of courage looks okay. Can you hear me? When you discourage someone, you got to understand the reality of the spiritual world. You're trying to rob somebody of their courage. That's what discourage means. You're trying to diss their courage. Therefore, you are pulling on their courage to discourage them so that you feel like you have a level of courage which you don't have, but you're robbing from another. Now watch this. That's what I say. We get a false courage for ourselves when we steal it from someone else by discouraging them. God forgives us when we have stolen courage from each other and help us to encourage one another more. So to encourage somebody is to give them part of your courage. Listen to me. It's a spiritual act. It's real. If God's calling you to do something and I go up and encourage you, it takes part of my courage that I give you. Run on a little of my courage for the next 30 minutes. I encourage you in the name of the Lord. Walk in what God's called you to walk in. Do it. You can do it. Walk in it. Watch this. We always want someone else to do it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure that didn't hit nobody in here but me. I'm going to give you one example. Moses wanted someone else to do it. Don't feel so bad. I said, God, I got to have a big guy somewhere. (laughs) Exodus 4.13. But Moses said, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. That's what Moses said. Anybody ever done that one? I've heard Trevor Craig say it over and over. I have to do the paperwork of Christianity. Trevor, do it. Just do it. <laughs> You've been doing it for 60 years. Just do it. <laughs> I love to pick on Trevor because I love him. The Lord loves us. I am want to go into some more examples next week about doing it. Here you see Moses right out of the shoot. He wanted... God asked somebody else to do it. Well, if God wanted somebody else to do it, he wouldn't have saved you to do it. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Can you hear that? If God wanted somebody else to do what he's called you to do, he saves them to do something else. He has saved you unto a purpose. He's allowed the vomit of the world, you to be vomited out on the shore of life. He has saved you with a purpose to do it. We're going to pick up there again next week. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. I ask and pray, oh God, that if there's anything I've said, is not of you that it'd fall to the ground. But Lord, if anything that I've said is of you and your spirit, I pray, O oh God, that you'd show us the revelation of why you put us here. The reason and the revelation you've saved us. Let us just do it. Let us say yes to your word, to your way, to your calling. You've not called any of us to do it for somebody else. You've called us to do it as unto you, what we're supposed to do. It's my prayer, O oh God, that we would all say yes. And that we would all repent when we run away from what you've called us to do. And the house said, amen and amen. Thank you.